Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. We're starting a new series called Jesus People. And this is a series, it's a discipleship series that I'm excited to take, walk us through. I would say it's about, it's 24 weeks right now. That's the plan to walk you through concepts, ideas of what it means to follow Jesus today. I'm going to integrate 20 something years of reading and teaching to give you what I think is needed for the moment as we learn to follow Jesus as a church. I say that going, you are already in the room, if you're here, the remnant, maybe, because you made it through the storm. I'm just saying, some of your brothers and sisters, this is usually standing room only, they're not here because they might have got scared of some puddles, but that's cool, I get it. I see you online right now, I'm looking at you. You can be comfortable in your home. No, it's fine. But I say that, because I really have an urgency with this series. I have an urgency with the talks I get to give every week. That's how I feel right now. I really feel um, pressed for time. Not literal, count. I don't even care about the countdown clock anymore. I, I feel pressed for the state of the church in the West. And I feel even in this talk, I know for a fact it's probably for a couple of you. Because what I want to talk about requires a level of surrender and yielding to God that 90% of the church, in my experience, is unwilling to give. So I'm going to talk about a concept you might have heard before. I'm going to preach to you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm going after the hungry and the lost. I'm going after the hungry saying, if you're here and you want more of God, it will cost you absolutely everything. That is the only way forward, in my opinion, in this church. And if you take that narrow road, you will want to bring as many people along for the ride. But let me tell you this. If you're comfortable and satiated by a culture of Christianity, you will find this teaching great. And that's what it will be. A simple teaching for you to consume along the way. But I'm going after the hungry and the lost because I see that in Jesus' life. He'll preach over and over again ideas, concepts, teachings. And at the end, he'll say, it's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. In other words, some of you are going to get it and some of you won't. I feel comfortable with that because of what I think the Lord wants to do. I, I, I want to see revival in my lifetime. I want to see a move of God. I want to see a reformation. I want to see God put his finger down and say, yep, it's, a, it's time. And for us to just go with it. I want the rain to keep coming because it's a sign of new life. And I want the church to be set on fire for the world to see. Not comfortable with conferences and podcasts and resources, but the fire of God in their bones so that the, literally the, the, your bones will cry out to the creator. That's what I want to see. So that's all I'm going to go after. I hope you're okay with that. Actually, I don't even care. John Wesley said something along the lines like, I just light myself on fire and let people watch me burn. I pray that could be true of me in my lifetime. Jesus people. I love these images of a move that happened here in Southern California in the 60s. 
but we can trace the remnants of the revival that happened in Southern California that spread around the world to parts that happened in Southern California in the 1900s in the Pentecostal movement. We can trace it back to post-World War II and the evangelistic movement that took off with Billy Graham Crusades and other evangelists at the time. We can see the, 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 the stirrings of renewal in a moment where the United States and the West was filled with despair and darkness. And it's always in those moments, God chooses to show up, put his finger down and say, now's the time. And then it just goes. Jesus People is a dis discipleship series. I'm going to give you a quick intro, and then we're going to talk about one of the concepts. It's a discipleship series. What I see as I've studied the Gospels and the life of Jesus for so long is that when you look at Jesus, you see what God's really like. That's the beauty of the Gospel. Of any other religion, we have the audacity to say the creator of the universe was made known to us, not just in history, not just through creation, not just through a book, but in the person of Christ, that we could see him. And when we look at Jesus, we see what the creator is really like. And he is kind and generous and patient and unhurried. He is the life of the party. He is filled with joy. He is running after you with everything he possibly can to be in relationship with you. He has this crazy capacity unusual capacity to, to live with radical holiness and radical inclusion of the outsider at the same time. He is quick to forgive. He's slow to become angry. He is a lover and he is strong. He is masculine and he is feminine. We have a God that's revealed in, in scripture that is what uh, that is a fresh revelation that I think the world needs to see. And he says, Jesus says, to follow him. So the idea of Christianity that we know needs to be shaped from the narratives of Christ. We need to reframe how we live today based on the concepts of Jesus himself. That he believes as a disciple, you must learn from his lifestyle from his attributes and characteristics embodied in a human, from his worldview and theology and ideas about how the world works, you need, to, you need to get close to him to walk next to him and pace yourself based on his walk and speed. That he believes not only that you can be with him and become like him, but you can do the things that he did. That's what it means to be a disciple today. That you permeate the very essence of God wherever you go. That's Christianity, guys. That's Christianity. Christianity, when it was first described as a movement, was called the way. And it was seen as a Jewish sect. It wasn't Christians as we know it today. It was a form of Judaism that was different than the other forms of Judaism because there were observable characteristics embodied by the disciples of Jesus that distinguished them from the Jewish people and the rest of the world for that matter. Unfortunately, we can't say that today. But the whole point of this series is that you would become Jesus' people. You would become the kind of people that look like Christ. That your beliefs 
your behaviors, your habits, the longings of your hearts would reflect the very image of God in the world, the way it was intended to be in the first place. That is my great vision for Jesus' people. In other words, I want you to be sold out. I want you to be all in, devoted, committed, impassioned, empowered, living for, living by Jesus. I want your whole life to be overwhelmed by the presence of God, that everything inside of you changes so that the very cells in your body reflect Jesus' image. That's my hope. I, I think, in all honesty, coming back after being away for five weeks, that's the only solution to the world's problems. The, the solution isn't us fixing this politically. There's a part we'll play in politics. The solution isn't winning them with great arguments. It's you radically transformed. You and your radical transformation in ordinary life, bringing about the life of God in your marriages, in your relationships to your spouses, to your, your workplace, to your roommates, to your schools, Whatever it is, you, wherever you find yourself, you bringing that transformation is the great gift God has for the world through you. Are you guys okay with that? Do you see why, even as I talk, this kind of audacious vision requires an all-in personality? Not a, I'm coming to listen to some good talks. I'm kind of going to give a little bit of my Sunday morning. Jesus doesn't want your spiritual life. He wants your whole life. This series is about you becoming a disciple of Jesus because Jesus' people are God's strategy for transforming the world. So the next 24 weeks or so, unless by the will of God, he disrupts our plans and we have to teach something else because there's something happening and we just want to respond. And I'm committed to that kind of response, by the way. If revival shows up, we will change what we do. Because our church is designed to continue as is, and when the Spirit says something, we obey. That's how we organize the entire structure of our organization. Our plans and everything will be uh, thwarted by the power of the Holy Spirit without question. So if you like predictability, wrong place to be. The only thing predictable is obedience to the voice of God. We will rotate between three, uh, three concepts, and this is what I was working through as I was integrating discipleship, and I'll talk about it in a little bit. The first theme is today is a concept, a theology, a ministry of Jesus. This is what you see in the life and ministry of Jesus. It will be things like the kingdom of God, healing, deliverance. Those are big ideas that we need to understand that they're not just concepts to be mastered. They're worldviews to embody. The second teaching next week will be uh, a, a lifestyle, habit, practice, spiritual discipline of Jesus. We're going to teach you practices that are not the answer in themselves. In the same way that teaching you the fundamentals of basketball isn't to be really good at the fundamentals of basketball. It's to teach you how to play the game without thinking. Spiritual disciplines are designed that you embody these practices so that you can play the game without thinking with Jesus. That you'll naturally think without having to think what Jesus would do and think in that moment without having to look on your bracelet and say, what would Jesus do? That's discipleship. The third is a characteristic or an attribute of God that you see in Christ embodied. So, so next week will be silence and solitude. The following week will be patience or unhurried life. Then it's healing and Sabbath and peace, deliverance. You can put this slide up, prayer, unless it's up. Oh, it's up. 
Was that up? These are the 24 topics. So those of you that want to take a picture and be like, I'm, I'm holding you to it, go for it. But I already told you I'm, I'm very quick to respond to change. But the, as I've been processing the things that I see needed in the church, these are the things that I would say, I want to, I want to go after these things. So today, we're going to start with the theme that is the theme of Jesus. It is not unfamiliar here because I talk about this more than anything else mainly because Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And I want you as Jesus people to know the ministry of Christ, and that was the kingdom of God. Jesus' primary message was, was the kingdom of God, meaning that he proclaimed this as a concept, as a reality, as a theology, and he demonstrated it. And so we as disciples need to be under the influence of God's kingdom. So I'm going to talk about what it means. And I'm going to use some slides that will help you understand this. If you've been here, you've heard this concept. But I want to talk uniquely today because of where we're going as a church about how we enter the kingdom of God. Because it hit me for 15 years of teaching this church, almost 15 years since we started as a missional community out of Rock Harbor Church in 2008. I have taught this concept with ideas about it, but I realize it will never make sense to some of you because you've never fully entered the way you are called to enter according to Jesus. So we're going to talk about that and invite you to more. I think even as I preach, you're going to have this feeling inside of you, a longing for more of God inside of you that you're going to experience in your body and your emotions and your spirit. And I want to tell you right now as I preach, you need to respond to the spirit however he calls you. Okay? You guys okay? You're like, who is this guy? Jesus in, in the gospel of Luke, let's just look at the themes of how, I want to show you this in scripture. For me, if you're new to our church, I will always anchor every sermon in the word of God. That is the highest authority for what we believe as people of God. The, the scripture determines what we base as truth, okay? So for us, it has to align with scripture. Luke chapter eight, I'm just going to give you themes of how the gospel writers frame the ministry of Jesus. This is going to be familiar. Jesus traveled about one town and, uh, sorry, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in the gospel of Luke, this is a summary statement of Jesus's ministry, going town for town, town to town, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, let's actually look at Matthew before I summarize it. Matthew's gospel, this is a summary of Jesus's ministry. He went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Those were like what would be Jewish churches, essentially, proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the word gospel that we translate. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's Mar, uh, and if we went to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says Jesus came. He said, the, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In the book of Acts, which is part two of Luke's two-part series, he summarizes the teaching of Jesus in Luke, but then he summarizes the resurrected Jesus's teaching and ministry. So you have the, the ministry of Jesus before the cross and then the ministry of Jesus after the cross. It says this in verse one, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, to the apostles he had chosen. Verse three, 
after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So are you beginning to see the emphasis of this? If you were to look through all of the gospels, including John, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus was, Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. He wants to talk about this concept, this idea. This, he's announcing it. He's saying that the kingdom is what is the good news. Before the cross, the kingdom was gospel. And we've talked about this here, how the cross is the ultimate revelation and demonstration of the kingdom of God being established on earth. Acts begins with the resurrected Christ teaching the kingdom. And then it ends in Acts 28. And I want you to see this because I need you to see the narrative. Acts is written as a history of the early church, not so that you as a disciple just know what happened in history, but so that you know why it happened theologically as a disciple of Jesus. It ends in verse 30 of chapter 28 with two words that I think are more important today than any other time in my lifetime. But it says this, it's Paul, it's about Paul, the apostle, who was a Pharisee, who has a, uh, an encounter with the resurrected Christ in a vision. He's blinded. He becomes a Christian and then becomes a church planner, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. And he gets arrested and shipped on the way. He gets shipwrecked, and then he gets, finally gets to Rome. And in Rome, he's arrested. He's under house arrest. He's waiting to be executed. He will be beheaded for his beliefs. And Luke, the author of Luke and, the, and Acts says this. He proclaimed the kingdom. I'm sorry, for two years, Paul stayed there in, in, uh, in Rome in his own rented house. Sorry, he moved it too fast. Um, I missed it. Uh, he lived there for two whole years at his, own, at his own expense and welcomed all who came in, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the narrative of Luke ends with the, the apostle Paul being imprisoned and oppressed and eventually waiting his execution, handcuffed in, with a guard, a Caesar's guard in his own home, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it says that the gospel of the kingdom uh, it's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The last word of the book of Acts with the image of, of Paul being handcuffed under the occupation of Rome, under their, uh, the leadership of Rome, is that the kingdom of God has, is expanding unhindered, wide open door. That's the image we have. That's the narrative of the New Testament is the, that God's kingdom is expanding even in the darkest place where people are powerless, they are holding the seed for a revolution. Where within 300 years, less than that, half of the Roman Empire will be Christian. Unhindered with all boldness. You guys with me, church? Amen. We need the narrative of Scripture to fill our imagination for what's possible. I think about fear. I'm just reflecting on the last couple of days with all the news about the hurricane, which is now a category. It's not even a category. What is this? It? It's a tropical storm. Did, you, did it trigger the COVID response in you? Like, it's like I mean, some of you are at home because you don't want to be, and I get it. If it's dangerous, look, be safe. 
But there is like this level of anxiety and fear we just are so quick to jump into. Like the world is wanting to pump your life full of anxiety and fear and despair. And as long as that is filling your mind and shaping your narrative, you won't live without hindrance and boldness. Are you with me? Like fear is clearly not our future. Fear does not have the final say. Anxiety doesn't. Worst case scenario, waiting our execution, the kingdom is expanding with open doors. That's what we're called into. But we so easily give ourselves to the emotions of a cultural world shaping us in its image. We as disciples need to be counterformed into the lens and worldview of Jesus. And that lens is God's kingdom is here. So God's kingdom, stay with me for just a moment. God's kingdom, uh, Dallas Willard says, or, or rule, is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. And the person of God himself and the action of his will are the organizing principles of that kingdom. So what, what does that mean? So God's kingdom, when Jesus says his kingdom's here, it is the space or the realm where, that, where God's desires and dreams and ways of life <clears throat> intersect with ours. So let me give you some examples. I'm going to give you some illustrations here. I'm going to teach this. So I want you to know this as a concept, and then we're going to talk about how do we enter into it. So when you read scripture, this is what you see. You can use the phrase the kingdom of God. You can use the phrase kingdom of heaven, which Matthew uses. You can use the phrase heaven. So for our intensive purpose, our, our purposes today, when I talk about heaven, when I talk about the kingdom, I'm referring to the space where God's hopes for creation, God, where, where God exists, that realm, along with it exists joy, peace, justice, righteousness, healing, love, beauty, goodness, shalom. That idea of Genesis 1 and 2. So when you read Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is this. You see the space of God's desires and the reality of God's intention for heaven is married to earth. In fact, this is the narrative of Genesis 1. Heaven, the realm where God's desires and dreams are reality, coexists with earth. They, God and earth, uh, the heaven, space, and earth are one and the same. Are you with me? Okay, so it's not, and, and so when you read about the imagery of the garden, you read about this space where everything's the way it's supposed to be, the way it was intended to be, functioning, beautiful, based on God's desires, designs, and dreams. And we had a choice, Genesis 3, to live in relationship with God, to follow his way, which we had authority to choose. And we chose in Genesis 3 to live outside of relationship with God and everything went sideways. So what we see in scripture, you can go to the next slide, is the separation of that realm where God's way is life. We rejected, we rebelled, 
The word is sinned against God. We missed the mark and everything got distorted in Genesis 3. Sickness comes into the picture. Satan takes ruling over the uh, creation when we were supposed to rule on behalf of God with God as humans. Satan now has that dominion over the earth. We see a separation. We see disease and sickness and genocide and uh, sex trafficking and slavery. We see all the effects of evil played into this space. That's what happens. Happens. This is what happens when sin comes into the story. So we see a separation of God's good and beautiful world, uh, of the space where God's heaven, heavenly realm exists and creation. Are you guys with me so far? Does this help you? Yes. 12 of us, good. I like images and this helps me understand. Now, I'm going to give you the Old Testament from this lens in a nutshell. This is what it looks like. So when you read the Old Testament, so you see God working with unique individuals, with unique people groups, Israel becomes the primary place, at unique times and unique places. So you see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come on individuals, not on all people. The Holy Spirit will come on kings and prophets and people in history like in Judges, where God will interact with creation in, on occasional issues and times. But then he'll stop. And then the primary image of the Old Testament of God's space and realm existing or coexisting on earth is the temple or the tabernacle. This unique place that through the sacrifice of animals, through blood sacrifice of animals, there creates a unique opportunity for people to coexist in the heavenly realm on earth and heaven. So that's where the temple fits. So this is what you get the entire Old Testament. You have story of the, um, the spirit coming down. And, and, and if you sinned against God and you lived in this space, you can bring an animal sacrifice to a priest who's already cleansed himself through sacrifice. And once that, that animal is sacrificed, that momentary existence, you step into this temple space where you coexist on heaven, on earth. And the temple is this image of God uniquely existing, God's realm, his way of life uniquely exists on earth. This is the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you read about this prophetic imagery where one day God's presence will, will be all over the earth again. There will be a moment where like Eden will be restored to all creation. God will reign over all the other nations and it will be marked by healing and new hearts and justice and forgiveness of sins. You won't have to teach people about the law. They'll do it naturally inside of them. Are you with me? And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, that time that's been prophesied is here. And here's Jesus. And then, isn't he cute? So in the person of Christ, all of the things that were listed and more are embodied in him. And he comes around and he goes, God's in charge. Everything you were expecting in the Old Testament, everything that's been promised is available here and now. And then he goes and he acts like he's in charge. And this is what happens. Go to the next slide. This is the ministry of Jesus. You like it? So... Oh, I see you, bro. You're like, slide 36, won me over. More, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
He doesn't say, get yourself right so you can step into the realm of heaven. Heaven invades the realm of darkness. Heaven comes to you in your worst place, the darkest moment, the most sin, the separation and rebellion. And he says, it's available. Just reach out and grab it. And when kingdom comes, what does it look like? It looks like healing. So paralytics are going to walk. Blind people are going to see. Deaf people are going to hear. It looks like freedom. Those that are shackled by the world's religion, those who are oppressed by demonic forces, those that don't know how to change because they're addicted, they're set free. There's one guy that's got a thousand demons and he breaks chains at night as he cuts himself in pain. Jesus shows up and the demons flee in the thousands. What happens when the kingdom comes is healing. What happens when the kingdom comes is freedom. What happens when the kingdom comes is joy. A woman bleeding for 12 years, spending her life savings to stop herself from bleeding because in that culture, she's marked as unclean. She's not allowed to be in community. She's isolated and alone. She just thinks to herself, I'm going to go and touch the side of his robe because Isaiah prophesied. If I could just get the train of his robe, the little tassel, God can do what no man can do. And sure enough, her faith saved her, cleansed, uncontrollable joy. We don't read about that, but I can imagine that energy she wasted in the cleansing ritual process for women during their cycle that she did daily to be freed from that affliction, I can only imagine joy. When the apostles walk into the gate of beautiful and see a man begging, they say, I don't have money, but what I have, I give you freely. Pick up your mat and walk or stand. Luke doesn't just include that he's now, his ankles are strong. And now he's walking on his own two feet after 38 or 40 years of being paralyzed. Luke says he's jumping and leaping, which is our modern translation for skipping. Praising God. Yes, your pastor just skipped. You need to see people don't skip because it's convenient. They do it because that's the only physical expression to talk about the joy that's inside of them. When the kingdom of God comes, there's a new family. There's belonging. The people that are outcasts of the culture or that group or that clique or that society are now welcomed in as insiders. The excommunicated ones have a seat at the table. When the kingdom of God comes, there's peace. You know that feeling that you have that things aren't the way they should be? That feeling that you have like you're being torn from the inside out, that you, even when you're resting, your mind is racing, your body is dysregulated, because something inside of you has been formed by a way of living by trauma in the past that makes you restless. When the kingdom of God comes, Jesus will regularly say in encounters with people, peace be with you. Shalom, wholeness. Woman who's a sinner in her town, a prostitute due to circumstances, pours out her life savings on the feet of Jesus and washes his feet with her tears and her hair and cleans them with her hair and he doesn't say to her, hey, you're healed. Hey, what are you doing? Get your life together. He says, go in peace. Go in right relationship with God, with other people, 
and right relationship with yourself. See, when the kingdom of God comes, things happen. Which is a big contrast to the church today. (laughs) And this is what I want to say. Go to the next slide. Jesus dies on the cross, raises from the dead, and he commissions his followers now to bring his reality of life in heaven wherever they go. So this is garden church sometimes. This is you sometimes. And I say sometimes because the kingdom exists outside of the church. Do you know this? There are places where God's kingdom is breaking out and it has nothing to do with the church because he is sovereign. (laughs) And he longs for creation to be back where it was in the beginning, which is this slide. Go to the next one. Revelation 21, 22. The imagery of the end times is heaven marrying earth like it was at the garden. Now go back to the other slide. I want to show you something. So God's kingdom exists outside of the church. So there are places where God is moving amongst people, ending child trafficking. The church might not be involved in that. It might be some subgroup of military folks who gave up their careers to go save children that are slaves. That's God. God's desire is in that space. Do you see it? We have to have an imagination for something far more important than just us. But his kingdom is moving in the local church for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. It takes incredible humility to say, this is plan A. But let me tell you something. If you study revival, what happens in revival is God moves powerfully outside of the constructs of the local church. He will use the local church and some local churches will be the, 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 the ignition switch. But a lot of times God's moving on the streets, which by the way is the primary place that Jesus ministered in the gospels. Just a side note. If you want the ministry of Jesus, you need the context of his ministry. Just a side note. All the warm fuzzies we have, all the time we have to minister to each other is not for you. It's for you to be filled up for them. And if you're not hungry, you're not going to get it because it's all about you. The hungry know I'm being filled to die to myself, not to live for myself. And when the kingdom moves outside, it's judgment on the church. Hear me. Revival begins in its first judgment on the church. I want revival. Do you want the cost of revival? Study revival all you want. It requires consecration. It requires a holiness where you give up your idols at all expense for the sake of the gospel of Christ. You give up all the pleasures that hinder your 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 sacrifice to Christ, that your discipleship and devotion to Jesus, it requires all of your affection. Revival comes and there's a cleansing of the priests. We are the priests. There's a disrupting of the, the, the systems and the structures and the traditions. And there will be groups of people included through the unction and power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't like those people. Study the revival. Every revival It's almost always the people that you don't want to be included in here. 
I love it. That's what I want. I want to include, if God begins to move, yep, let's figure this out as we go. We'll make space. I love what Calvary Chapel did. Chuck Smith, elder says they're ruining the carpet. He's like, rip up the carpet. We can chuckle. But the things that we get comfortable in the church are the things that God tends to disrupt during a moment of revival. Are you prepared for what happens when the kingdom comes? Are you ready? Because that's what this is about. It's about a movement of Jesus people. People walk around living and embodying the life of heaven in them wherever they go. This is not a practice your way to Jesus message. This is a total overhaul of your very being. It's not about reading scripture to, you know, five minutes a day. It's about pondering scripture so that your bones cry out the word of the Lord. The synapse and sinews and muscle tissue know the Lord of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. You're like, that's crazy talk. Yeah, it is crazy talk. Because I've done church for 15 years here, 17 years total, and I don't want anything else other than Jesus. And I think we put on a display of Christ that doesn't look like him. How do we know Jesus is here? Healing, peace, joy, belonging, justice, freedom, forgiveness of sins, a life transformed. Does anyone here want to change? Has anyone here tried everything? Like, I've tried it all. I kid you not. Name a diet, I did it. Whole 30, carnivore, vegan, vegetarian, name it, keto. I've done it all. I've done juice cleanse. I've done yoga practice. I've done CrossFit. I've done Pursuit 90. I want, I want to do all of those things. Those things will not transform your life. They, will, they, they, they might be part of the process of your transformation. Jesus is the only way. Let me explain this. You won't get this concept without an experience with God. Man, I, I am so off on my notes, but it's okay. This is going somewhere. Let's go. All right. You will not get this vision. You will have no capacity to grasp what Jesus is after. You might think it theologically. You might memorize the concepts. You could teach it in a classroom. Jesus wants none of that for you. Go to John chapter three. This is what struck me. In all my years, I never really put this together. Every time I taught on the kingdom of God, it's been Luke and Mark and Matthew. And then while I was on break, I read this passage. Verse three of chapter three in the book of John. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Just pause right there. Are you born again? How do you know? John's phrase, born again, which was used during the Billy Graham crusade, took off during the Jesus people movement. Born again, born again. It translates to be born from above. Born again. Are you born again? Jesus says you can't even see the realm of heaven that you were destined for without being born again. Now he's talking to a genius, Nicodemus, right? 
Nicodemus was there. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was part of the ruling council. He was making the decisions for those people who make the decisions in Jewish culture. How can someone be born when they are, are, they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely can they, they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. Do you see how confused he is? Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and of the spirit. He clarifies, born again, something to do with being baptized, being immersed in the presence of God. Water is being cleansed for ritualistic purposes used in the temple or for sacrifices and the spirit. You need to be cleansed and filled, immersed, thrown into the deep end, purged, cleansed inside out through the power of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. That's a clever way of saying you're, you're either going to get it or you're not. It's a reality to be experienced. He lays out his vision. And this struck me because he's having a conversation with a Pharisee. It's one thing to tell a tax collector, a sinner, like a prostitute to be born again. That makes sense. But Zacchaeus, or it's like, or like Zacchaeus, but Nicodemus was a great religious leader. He fasted twice a week. He prayed for hours a day. He studied the Torah. He memorized it. He tithed. He organized his time and energy around the coming of the Lord. But something in the heart of Nicodemus, Jesus spoke to. He's still unsatisfied. <clears throat> Nicodemus has all the right answers. He has all the right things to say. He's collected all the consumer spiritual goods. He's done good things for God, yet he's still longing for more. This is the American church. This is Garden Church. If we aren't careful, we will get stuck with practices. We will get stuck with worship gatherings and consuming resources rather than being set ablaze on fire for all the world to see our union with Christ. That melts away all pretension and performance. We can't help but give everything we have. That is the entry. It's free to enter in and it will cost us everything to continue. How can a man be born again if he's old? Nicodemus wants to know. <clears throat> can't do it through work. You can't do it through formation. You can't do it by setting goals or getting into cold water. You can't do it through diet and exercise. Those things won't last. You can't have formation, spiritual formation practices to make you more like Jesus if you have demons inside of you. Oswald Chambers says you must be born again. This is not a command. It's a foundational fact. The characteristic of the new birth is that I yield myself so completely to God that Christ is formed in me. I just want to say this. This is the whole point of my sermon. The only way 
to move forward with Jesus in our church is absolute surrender. The only way you will stay on pace with, pace with Christ is absolute surrender to Jesus. This is how you enter the kingdom. This is how you step into the realm of heaven and begin to see it for what it is. You have to surrender everything. That's why Jesus talks in parables. It does not make sense unless there's revelation from God. It's like a field somebody sees that's empty and they sell everything they own to get that field because they know there's treasure underneath. You're not going to, that, oh, that's cool. It makes sense if you know there's treasure. Most people just see the empty field. It's foolishness. Do you see the kingdom? Only way is to be born again. But to be born again is to talk about an experience with God that requires a surrender of mind, will, body, emotion, and heart. A surrender of resource, our soul's resource, to let God have his way. But when I talk like that, I can't, I can't do it justice because it's going to be something you have to experience for yourself. It's like me trying to describe to you a mo mo uh, what Giverny smells like. You know what Giverny? How many of you have seen a Monet painting? Raise your hand. Let's keep our hands up. Put them up. You've seen a, just seen any Monet painting. Put it up high. I just want to show you this. Okay. How many of you have seen a Monet painting in person? Raise your hand. Keep it up. Put your hand down if you haven't seen it in person. Okay. How many of you have seen a Monet pair, uh, painting in Paris? Put your hands down if you haven't. How many of you have stepped on the, the bridge over the pond, the lily pond in Giverny? Raise your hand. How many of you know what Giverny smells like? It's for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. See, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's inviting you into that space. I was looking at all these surf videos right now on Surfline because the swell is so beautiful. <laughs> it's like the kingdom of God is like getting barreled in a wave. It's for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. <laughs> all the surfers are like, yes, Jesus, more waves. Hurry up with the talk. It's getting better at one. Um, <clears throat> Do you want more of God? I knew coming back that there was going to be a massive limitation for what's possible in my capacity to lead. And I felt like I have to be foolish. I feel like I have to be so foolish to require the Lord to do what only he can do. I am so done with playing church and expecting disciples to just be okay with a life of sin with pagan ideology and worldview shaping your lifestyle. And I just want to say, you got to be born again. Call it converted, call it committed, call it devoted, call it baptized in the Holy Spirit, call it a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like, at some point you have to surrender your entire life to Jesus. That's the only way forward. And that's the line I draw on the sand. For 24 weeks, as we talk about great spiritual disciplines and characteristics that will make you a better human, it's awesome. 
the only way you'll experience the transformation you long for is surrendering every day your whole life to God and coming under the reign of his kingdom in your life so that his, your life becomes the vessel through which heaven exists on earth. Amen? How are we doing, church? Can we stand up? I was uh, reading uh, sermons from Billy Graham on break. Um, what a great man of God. And he was big on being born again. And I was like, what, is he, what did he mean by born again? And I wanted to read this to you. So would you just close your eyes and open up your hands? I'm going to read these things to you. How do you become born again is the question I wrote based on Billy Graham's response. He said, number one, repent from sin. Turn from your way of life and turn towards God. Repentance means you're willing to change the way you were living. Repentance is simply saying like a child, I'm sorry, God, I missed the mark. I'm a sinner. And from that space of humility, of childlikeness, then by faith you receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as the master of your life, and you ask him to come into your life and lead you down his path, which will always inevitably lead to life. So number one, repent from sin. Number two, receive Jesus. And then he said, number three, welcome the Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. So let, your, let the Holy Spirit know he's welcome in your life. Open your body, your mind, your heart to the presence of God. Let the Holy Spirit empower you, convict you, teach you, and instruct you as he transforms you in Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us in power right now? Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.